What Happens When I? Episode number nine. What Happens When I Think? Okay. What Happens When I Think? Well, there's always the ABC kind of thinking. And there's a lot in this. I know I say that all the time. There's a lot in this. Well, there's a lot in everything, Dosta. Yes, that's why I keep saying it. But ABC thinking is, well, it's like... It's like there's a sound happening which only I can hear. And if I was to ask someone else hey, do you hear that sound? They would say, no, I don't hear that sound. And that wouldn't be a surprise to me. Because I would say, well, this sound is in my head. This sound is the sound of my thinking. And why should I expect anyone else to hear it? And in an ABC thinking kind of way, well, that sound is a voice. It's a voice that's saying words as intelligibly as any normal sort of conversation. One would think. I would think. I would suppose. I would safely assume. So it's like, well, I've got my voice, which I use to make words with and sounds with. And when I talk to someone or I talk to myself out loud... There's a sound happening, and that's an external sound, and, well, that's what I'm thinking when I'm saying what I'm thinking and what is going on with what is happening. And then the other side of that is, well, I've got the exact same thing occurring, and yet I'm not using my mouth. It's not external. It's just in my head. And the only difference between those two things is, well, can someone else see it? Or not? Can someone else hear that sound? Or not? And from here, well, here there's multiple ways we can go. We can dive into the structure of thought, or the content of thought, or theory of mind, or psychology. That's all, that's that's, that's this huge thing, that's this huge thing. All, All this thing of like, what is the mind? What do we think? They basically all just fall into these sorts of categories, which are broad. And, well, like, where to begin? Like, it's a study. It's a lifelong quest. It's, a, it's an education. It's a learning. So, I mean, which one can we chip away at? Like, we've, we've already spoken so much about theory of mind and psychology. And here, well, today's inquiry question is really trying to get at the difference between a psychology and an experience or, or really bringing me back to just, just forget about all you're talking about the mind because we can talk about thinking, but then we can say what is happening when we think. And there's a sort of ABC answer to that too, which is 
Well, when I talk, I'm communicating. Or when I think, I'm communicating something. Or when I think, I'm driving my behaviours. Or when I think, I'm trying to make sense of the world. Or when I think, I'm sorting out my life and what I'm doing and so on. And that can lead us to, well, where does it begin? What is the driving force? Do we first think things and then go out and act those thoughts? Do we first organize the information within us and then go out to the world? Or is it more sort of back and forth? Whereas we're always coming in with new information, we're always having new experience, we're always having new things to contend with. And all this, it really feels like, I mean, the, the, the easy thing for me is to just go on and on about theory of mind. If we can call everything that we've talked about so far theory of mind, just for the sake of summing it up, it's theory of mind, it's talking, it's, but, what's the word? It's, it's only about thought. It's not getting into thought itself. And that's not an answer. That's not an honest answer to the question. What happens when I think? That's somehow sidestepping the question. Because this this question, this, this statement of what happens is designed directly to go towards experience, which is beyond thought. And in a certain way, we always need thoughts to be happening. Like at certain points, my experience, moment to moment, has thoughts only as a small proportion of that. It's like the little voice in the head is, is very quiet, very small, very distant, and very slow. And it's sort of going along like a mumbling talk that's very quiet, continuing, continuing. And at the same time as the words keep happening and the thoughts are occurring, then there are other things occurring which are much more immediate and much more interesting and much more important. And these are things like, well, what's happening? What are my perceptions doing? What is around me? What are the sounds in my environment? What do I smell? What do I touch? And then there's also the feeling in my body of where there is tension or relaxation in muscles or joints or bones. Then there's energy movements, which is on a amount of intense to less intense and also has different parts of the body having it happen in different amounts of time, in different lengths of time. And then there's also an emotional component, which is what's happening with what's driving my behaviors and what's happening with the feeling more towards my heart. And I distinguish a energy feeling towards an emotional feeling by saying that an energy feeling is more outward in the extremities of the head, hands and feet. And an emotional feeling is more inward, 
coming from the center, such as the heart or the aura or the, well, not the aura, the solar plexus. And these things can be at times even overwhelming to the point where thoughts don't happen at all. It seems like thinking in an ABC way is pointless or somehow squeezed out or somehow put on the backbench to make way for these experiences. And that would suggest that there is a limit to experience and each of these components of it, which I've compartmentalized and identified as individual and yet somehow related and variable on a day-to-day basis, are trying to expand that. They're trying to expand the limit to experience. So my current theory or my approach of compartmentalizing my moment-to-moment experience is a step towards complexifying that. And I could see, well, that also can turn into a mind game because the mind still has a response to it. The mind is still a component of all this. The mind still has to have a cognition of words of how it explains what hap- what happens, how it makes sense of what's happened before or what's coming and a whole sorts of things, like like all of it really, all of it has a reflection in the mind. And I don't know what a better word would be rather than reflection. Perhaps we can say it has a, there's a consequence in the mind, like bodily experiences have a consequence in thought. And that would be like, well, what the voice is saying what the voice is saying about these experiences. It's like a commentator. And it has, well, various degrees of how intelligent it is with what it's saying and also how related it is. Sometimes it's completely unrelated. Sometimes the voice is talking about a conversation way off over there while an experience is happening here. And... I wouldn't say that it's always clear. Like the picture is not exactly correct or accurate to say that there's always someone aware of all these components. There's a fluctuation because at other times of the day, it's like it's not the feeling or the energy that is filling up the full space. It's actually the thoughts. Sometimes the voice is actually the voice. Like like we can say right now, how much is the sound of this voice filling this current experience? How much of the sound of this voice is penetrating in? How much is it dominating? How real is it? We can say if it seems more real, if it seems more alive, then... It's more dominant. Whereas if it's sort of distant or you're actually doing something else or you're feeling something and you're not really paying attention, that would be like, well, your attention's somewhere else. 
and the voice is still happening, the, vo- the words are still going, but it's just that you're... So, so what, what is attention in that? With that in mind, what is attention? Well, attention is the thing that is occupying your present experience the most. It's the thing that is most dominant in your current experience. And for example, right now, when I am talking, I feel like I have to keep my attention on the words that I'm saying. And now there's been a distraction in my environment and I can say that there's a distraction which is deterring from my words that I'm saying. And also when this gets even more complex, you get into things like, well, thinking one thing but saying another or having multiple voices in the head, or not just having voices in the head, but also images and sounds and, and I want to say feelings, but it's, it's like we, I mean, why separate thought and feeling? That's a good thing to say. Like what, what happens when I feel? What happens when I feel? How would I answer that differently to this question, what happens when I think? Well, to me, it's just, it's just clear. It's simple, which is that you have feelings and you have thoughts and they are characterized differently because we have a vast ongoing experience of reality and we categorize them for better understanding, better clarity of each of them, for understanding the relationship between each of them, for seeing how they interact, and so on. And when I mean so on, I mean how they interact and how they also feed off each other or they also can work against each other or they can overcome each other or they can be more dominant and so on. So the, 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 the interesting thing is, well, what is the... I mean, it always somehow comes back to this. Like, what is the thing that is doing the thinking? What is the thought occurring to? And we'd want to ask that in those times when I am aware that I am thinking. So it's one thing to be thinking... And it's another thing to be aware that you are thinking. To know that you are thinking about something. And I feel like throughout my day, it's so... There's so much variation in this. There's so many ups and downs. And it's so funny that some days I can actually wake up and think... And and not be thinking straight. And know it. And then think to myself... I'm not thinking straight, and yet still I'm not thinking straight. Even though somehow in a a strange sort of way I am thinking straight because I know that I'm thinking straight. And that reminds me of another interesting part of this, which is, well, what is confusion? And the word that comes to mind is harmony. 
if your thoughts have a harmony to them, then you're not confused. If your thoughts are flowing freely and each of them are somehow understandable in relation to each other and also to the rest of what's going on, then you have harmony. And when you're confused, well, there are multiple thoughts that don't go together. And this can also come from, well, the environment or the situation or a feeling. And as for the actual content of thought, like what what happens when I think? Like what would that mean if I was to just say what I am thinking? Like there's there's a difference between what happens when I think and what am I thinking. It's so funny that you can't really ask both at once. You really, if you if you wanted to know what was happening in a person, you'd say, "What's happening?" Or it's so funny that the question, "What are you feeling right now?" has a difference to it rather than it has a difference to it compared to what are you thinking right now. And I think most people would realize that most people would notice that it's just a matter of degree it's a matter of how clear that is to them i think the difference between thinking and feeling is pretty obvious once it's made explicit it's quite easy to see the difference it's just it's just obvious and maybe that's an assumption that i need to challenge maybe it's not maybe it's a matter of who I'm talking to. <laughs> There's no way to make a complete summary about that. A conclusive summary about that. So the content is, well, there are words and there are words that are repeated and then there's also what we would say subjects where oh i'm thinking about this or this part and to be honest a lot of the time well not a lot of the time i'd say some of the time like i notice this tendency in me to when i talk about thinking or theory of mind it's like i'm putting myself up as this i'm somehow prepping myself up as Yes, I've got this. Yeah, I know this. And yet, the truth is that sometimes I do become still neurotic. So neurotic in this way would mean having a subject or a collection of words that repeat over and over again. It's like obsessive thinking, repetitive thinking over and over, the broken records, saying the same thing over and over again saying the same few words in a different way over and over again, just talking with the same small variations on the same couple of words over and over again. And it's really just the one subject constantly, which for now is the subject of what's it like to be neurotic and have a thought going over and over again. And it's quite funny that 
when you understand the subject and you understand the collection of words, then, well, you can just start repeating the words as much as you want and stay within the subject and start talking about what you're talking about. And then you have a mastery over your neuroses because you're repeating it and controlling it and guiding it and sort of going into it with an awareness, with an intention. And that's neuroses. (laughs) Well, I should say that's transcending neuroses. And a lot of the time, well, I don't transcend it. I actually do repeat the same thing over and over again without even noticing it. And even at times, it can become a struggle when I do notice it because I say, well, I've been thinking this same thing over and over again. And then it keeps up again like, damn. And this is still tied in with feelings as well, like the same feeling comes up. And right now I want to say to myself, no, you only have good feelings. No, you don't need to worry about your feelings. You have good mastery over your feelings. But the truth is, well, how can you assess that? How can you do an assessment? So that, that's what's happening when I think I'm make, making an assessment. I'm judging. I'm categorizing things into subjects as well as sometimes not even knowing the subject. So there's a, there's a scale of detail in the words, in what they refer to. And that's my awareness of the structure. Like it all comes back to, well, it doesn't all come back to, I just want to say, how should I say? The certain structures are clear to me. And certain shapes make sense within my mind. And certain cognitive lines make sense. And certain patterns are clear. It's just clear. It's just so clear to me. And, well, it's illusory. It's adaptive. It's changing. It's flowing. It's bubbly. It's, well, it's like I've said before in a poetic sense. Thoughts are like the bubbles on a wave at the beach. They're between something solid, which is the sand, something liquid, which is the water, and a gas, which is the air. And that's what bubbles are, and that's what thoughts are. And I love these poetic ways of talking about the mind. I love these poetic ways to express what a thought is because a thought is it's elusive Uh, it's illusory and elusive as soon as you try and grab it it disappears and I feel like there is still both things that I'm clear about and also things that I'm not aware of, which at different times I become aware of. So my thoughts, what, what, what happens when I'm thinking? My thoughts are being guided by, well, there's, a, there's an amount of autonomy, which is 
see, I always get into this problem. Damn, like, you know what's happening? I'm thinking too fast to talk. Like, this this has happened so much, really. It's just, I, and this is why I'm sure I can't talk clearly. I just can't talk in proper sentences at times. I can't make sense at all because when I say a sentence, by the time I get to the end of the sentence, three new insights have occurred and I'm trying to grab hold of them. <laughs> I'm trying to formulate them into words. And as I try and do that, I get halfway through the sentence and realize, oh, I've got to finish the sentence that I've left behind because that's what I'm talking about. So I don't know what the solution to that is. I guess just slow down. Be more meaningful with your words and allow these insights to solidify for a little bit before you say them out loud and this can be this can be helped by simply talking slower talking more slowly a fast mind but a slow voice that's what happens when i think what's happening when i think well i'm having a lot of thoughts and i'm talking slowly that's what's happening. And I keep running into this thing of like it's final. Like I want to say, I want to say what I am. But every time I do that, I feel that I can't say it because it only applies to part of me. And it only applies to me some of the time. So when I say I'm doing something or I have something or I see something, that's not to say that there aren't times when I'm caught out and I don't have those things. So for me to say what I am or what I'm experiencing, I would have to be very general or just offer up this thing of, well, it's just what I'm feeling now or what's happening now. Well, this is what happens some of the time for me. And I don't know, well, are we are we talking about what happens all of the time? Like what what happens when I think? Well, all sorts of things happen. How often do I think? That's a good question. I think basically basically 24/7. I'm thinking basically 98% of the time. Sometimes even when I'm asleep, I'm thinking. <laughs> Sometimes I'm dreaming and I'm thinking. And I'm actually in the dream, walking around, thinking things. <laughs> and, I mean, I've always had such a, such a line of a mind and it's been such a journey to understand that and really make friends and make peace with it and make it into something useful or at least tolerable well <laughs> that doesn't sound very nice <laughs> don't speak so badly about your mind Dosta. he's listening do not speak about that 
He is very nice to you most of the time. Very friendly, and you can have so much fun with him. And how often am I thinking? Yeah, pretty much 98% of the time. And I, and I do that because I don't want to give it up because I enjoy it so much. And also, it's been perfectly fine for me to think while having all the other stuff going on as well. So I haven't sacrificed thinking for experiencing or feeling or energetic feeling or any other number of things that we can talk about within the phenomenological experiencing. I told myself that I'd try and stop using the word, the, the phrase phenomenological experiencing. So that's just a, a long word that I've used too much. I'll just say experiencing. It's the same thing, really, like phenomena and experiencing. If you're listening to this sort of conversation, you can see that difference and understand it's pretty much the same thing. We're just talking about, I mean, there's a lot of, this is funny because there's a lot of phrases that come up again and again. There are words or collection of words that come up again and again when I talk, just like thinking. And the intuition is, or sort of the beginner's intuition is, well, I should always use different words. I should always find new phrases. I should always be thinking something fresh, saying something fresh. And there's two ways you can do that and two reasons why you would or wouldn't want to do that. And one is you just expand your vocabulary until you're using really outlandishly complex, fancy words which no one understands. And two is, well, you keep reading books and placing the words that you've got into different orders. And it's the reading the books that allows you to keep that order of the words that you've got fresh. And why or why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, we want to have rich thoughts. We want to have rich mind activity. And the, the two sides of that is, well, you're increasing your brain power in essence. You're increasing your mind. For what end? For enjoying it? Or does that become a burden? Does it become a thing that just tangles you more and more? And the only solution to that is, well, you have to have something that's outside the mind. You have to transcend the mind. The mind must be a thing that is within a context, not the entire situation itself. And if you're just increasing the mind and you're going off on this thing to make it more and more complex, well, you're going to miss what the deeper intuition is of what you really want. 
And maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe that's how you actually find that intuition. Maybe the way to transcend the mind is to actually make it really strong and big and complex. I don't know. I don't know if I feel like... I mean, I also have this thing of like the preacher voice. It's, it's similar to the judging voice. I mean, the judgment thing is like, oh, you need to do this or you have to do this or this is how you do this. And I realize that what I say is partly what I think as well. I mean, that's another funny way of asking about this question, which is, do you say what you think? Do you say what is happening inside your inner world? Honestly, is there a difference between those two things? The, the voice of the words that are coming out of your voice box and mouth and the, the voice of, and the words that are your thoughts. And that can be a point of real tension. I mean, it, I mean both, uh, like speaking the truth can be a point of real tension socially. And that's why you can't rule out the energetic field. Like say, say you've got three people in, in a conversation and one of them is saying something that's true to them and then another one is feeling very, very uncomfortable about that and then another one is saying what's not true to them. Well, then you've got all of the variations of, let's say, authenticity. So two, two out of the three are being authentic, but they're all having different feelings. And it might be that the person who is saying what is true to them then understands the energetic response or feeling or cues of the person who feels very, very uncomfortable. Because we can say, well, there's comfortable or uncomfortable. And all those three people can, well, have both of those. Well, maybe not. Let's see. Like, if you're saying, if you're saying what's true to you, you're saying what you think and you're comfortable, then it doesn't matter if someone feels uncomfortable or they disagree. And then if you're saying that you disagree... Well, you can do that in a comfortable way or uncomfortable way. Like you can be relaxed or you can be not relaxed. But there's, there's, always, there's always going to be something. Like imagine someone who's sitting and disagreeing with you in a relaxed way. I mean, to me, this, this whole thing just illustrates that there's the words and then there's the energy or the feelings. It's the same difference in, in one person, like you've got thinking and feeling. Well, it's the same when you've got three people there. And then our third person, well, take a look at them. They're saying something that they don't believe, so they're being inauthentic. Now, how are they going to feel? Are they going to feel comfortable like that? Is that possible? Is it possible to feel 
to be authentic and yet feel uncomfortable. Well, sorry, to be inauthentic. Well, well, either way around, you can be authentic and comfortable, or authentic or uncomfortable, or inauthentic, or comfortable, or inauthentic or comfortable. It just comes back to a matter of this play between thoughts and feelings. And maybe sometimes the most authentic thing is to be really uncomfortable and to really just say that. So... That's some ideas about what happens when I think. Just let me take a short break. I'll leave a couple of seconds of silence and then we'll continue. So just let it play and have some silence to think about. (laughs) You can think about what we've been talking about. (laughs) How about that? And we are back again with the question, what happens when I think? Well, I get ideas. When I think, I feel good. When I think, I become creative. When I think, I have new thoughts. When I think... I realize more and more that thoughts are illusory and I see more and more the dissolving between the boundary, the dissolving of the boundary between feelings and thoughts and the rest of the stuff that's happening in experience. When I think... Well, I get all sorts of ideas. When I think, my thinking changes. That's a good answer. When I think, the thoughts start to do something. Something magical. Something strange. Something weird. And there's also this thing of like, what do I think about? Well... What do I think about? Basically, I just think about me. Me, me, me. Yes, I think about my life, what I'm doing, what I want. And in that, well, there's some beautiful things, but there's also some dark things. There's some longing for things which I don't have. There's desire. And I think about ideas. I think about the book that I'm reading. I think about the things that I've done. I think about what's happening right now, sometimes. 
Does that count as being having a, an experience of the now? <laughs> I'm I'm in the now. I'm thinking right now that I'm in the now. <laughs> That's a tricky one. That's a good one. What do I think about? I sort of want to go into this more. I don't know how honest I want to be. I don't know how much I want to reveal. I mean, I think about ideas. I think about my podcast. I think about what I want to say. I think about what I want to teach. I think about what is valuable. I think about what I want to do. I think about if things are going to turn out all right. I think about how things have turned out all right. I think about other people and how crazy they are. I think about what, like, why? Like, this question, why? Why this happens this way? There's a lot of, and it's not, I mean, it's somewhere between awe and confusion. Like, why sounds a bit confused, but it's also, it also can be awe. Like, I, and I, I think I like the way to, I put it, which is between awe and confusion, because it's not confusion. It's almost like a, it's, it's a real humility. There's a humility in recognizing that the mind is incapable of making sense of something. And it's okay to just experience it. And I think there is a tendency in some people to really just, oh, how do we make sense of it? How do we make sense of it? That, sh- that, should, be, that should be put down as like a, a real important inner skill. It should be one of, one of the main tools in the toolbox of inner skills, which is noticing when the mind is trying to make sense of something that it can't and that it shouldn't and that it doesn't need to. That can save you a lot of thoughts. That can save you a lot of thinking. And I realize also that I've just said this term, the mind. Like when I say the mind, what do I mean? Well, that's a tricky one because there's so many different interpretations. Like so far today, what we've been talking about is the voice in the head. That's what, that's what I think most people mean when they say the mind. But for me, that doesn't cut it like, it doesn't quite work to make the mind a, like an antagonist or a protagonist. The mind doesn't have its own, does the mind have its own autonomy? Does the mind have its own desires? Is the mind, and, it, and it's just a way of thinking about it. It's so funny, is it, that we're talking about thinking about thinking. And for me, these sort of loops are quite fun. These are entertaining. This is philosophical entertainment theory of mind. Thinking about thinking and using analogies to create characters out of the mind to understand the mind, to broaden the mind, and therefore extend the ability of the mind so as to allow us to get to the end of this sentence by the time we are able to cognize 
and follow whatever is making sense at the time in a way that allows us to align the words that we're saying with the thoughts in our mind because we are both subjectively and collectively related in an ever-dissolving boundary between awareness and unconsciousness and drawing words towards what's happening now doesn't necessarily allow you to experience the now in some lesser definitions of the term the now and yet it also occurs right now <laughs> and all that makes perfect sense to me <laughs> Ah, I love mental gymnastics. I wonder how far we can go. That's my question. I'm I'm willing to go pretty far. I'm willing to really crack into it. Doesn't mean we can't just have a break every now and then. <laughs> it's important to have a break every now and then. What would be the equivalent of the gym gymnastics like the the imagine this gymnastics right so we've got this person who's really good at gym and they run along the mat and then they bounce up they do front flip back flip turn around twist around and then a the big bounce and they go all the way up into the air but they don't come down again they just go up and spin 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 what would happen what's what's the equivalent of that Is that okay to do? I guess in, in cognitive terms or in speaking terms, like for, to, to make that the analogy, like gymnastics is the analogy and then talking is what the analogy is for or thinking is what the analogy is for. In, in the realm of thinking, well, that's sort of frowned upon. Like you should come back down again. You should conclude or you should tie it all up or you should bring it back to the beginning or... You should make sense. Basically, in a nutshell, you, sh- you should make sense. There's a taboo. This is a taboo on making sense. There's a taboo around making sense. And I remember where I first came across this. This was amazing. This was a... Uh, it was in an Osho lecture. I don't remember which series, but... Someone had brought in a question where they were sort of like, you know, comparing two things that he'd said. And this happens every now and then. It's always hilarious when someone does it because it doesn't make any sense at all. And he always has the most amazing answers for these sort of questions. And this person is like, look, I'm confused. You said this over here and you said this over here. And he then does this talk about what it means to not make sense. And how he's actually moving towards, trying to move towards that point where he doesn't have to make sense. And his followers in that time are meant to have that understanding and able to actually follow along. 
So in a sense, they can follow along, but it doesn't make sense. And, and what's great about this talk is that when he says it, he actually starts not making sense. He actually does what he's saying and he leads us, sort of leads whoever's listening down the path until they're a gymnast who's run along the mat, bounced and gone up into the air and done the somersault, but not come down. And they're sort of just going up and up and up or they're up in the ceiling. And I think that's just so beautiful. That's just blurring poetry into a discourse style. And, well, Osho was very aware of that. He was the, well, he's the speaker of the ages. <laughs> Much more eloquent than you and me, us common folk. Very entertaining. Let's just say that much. And I get that. Like I, I would have had that impression on me long time ago now. And for many reasons, I'm open to mental gymnastics in a very different way to what Osho spoke about. I mean, I don't think there's very much overlay. Well, it's hard to say. Let's not let's not do a self-assessment. Let's not turn this into self-judgment about who are my influences. Well, it's quite obvious Osho is a big influence. So I, I make no secrets there. But since then, well, I've had so much fun with not making sense. And in so many strange ways, this is an inquiry into, well, the nature of the mind, the nature of thought, which is what makes sense. What happens when I think? Well, do I make sense or do I not make sense? Am I confused or am I not confused? Am I confident or am I unconfident? Am I clear or am I unclear? Am I relaxed or am I tense? Am I coherent or am I contradictory? And my attitude to all that has always been just be entertainable. Be entertaining. <laughs> and and entertainable. <laughs> Just have a bit of fun with it. Because it's in the fun that the really profound things are happening. When you have fun with those things, it really actually becomes dynamic. It becomes deep because there's another layer there. There's another thing going on that you can only see if you really listen closely. There's something beyond the surface. When someone's dangling a surface feature in front of you on purpose, knowing full well the effect and full well knowing what's happening behind the scenes, well, that makes for some very interesting entertainment and it's a subtle thing 
and it's tricky. It's very tricky. And it's funny that people can be very untrusting because it's possible to see that something's going on. It's possible to hear it. It's possible to smell it in a funny way. You, you can smell it, but you can't see it. That's a good image of mistrust. I smell something funny about this. Isn't it funny that smell is associated with mistrust? Something stinks about this. Something stinks of a rat. Whereas sight is often associated with clarity and transparency and trust. So you could say that, well, there's always more to just the surface, but the question is who's aware of it and how much are they aware of it and to what end? And I ask myself, well, what, what am I really trying to say? Am I trying to find a new answer to this question, what happens when I think? And what would that mean? A, a more elaborate story? a more elaborate psychology, a more elaborate cognitive ability in relation to my self-image, my self-esteem, my ego, my place in the universe, and so on? Or am I trying to destroy it? Am I trying to see that this is a fool's errand? And the only way to learn that lesson is to actually get to the point where... I can no longer say what happens when I think. And what happens if that's true? What if I really can't say? And it's funny how there's degrees to this. And this reveals the experience behind words in some ways. Because saying, you get this in the words... I don't know. When someone says, I don't know, it means something different every time. It also means something different to every person. And if you really don't know, if you really are in that state, if you're in the state of the unknown, then you don't say, I don't know. You don't speak at all. <laughs> you don't need what There's no mind happening. There are no thoughts happening. <laughs> and I have dabbled in that state. I have been brought to that state. And I wonder if that's the, the point of this koan, what we're talking about right now, here today. What happens when I think? I come up with an answer, which is in words. And then I come up with another answer to that question, which is in words. And then I come up with a different answer, which is in words. And so on until I'm feeling that some of the answers don't make sense. And some answers are better than others. Some answers are more clear or some answers are more accurate. And so on. And then I realized that, well, I've got so many different answers. 
Could it be all of them at once? And how would I summarize that? And I say, well, how do I summarize all of what I'm saying right now and all the answers that I've come up with to this question? What happens when I think? And then I'm back to square one because I've got this question, what happens when I think? And I've got an answer. <laughs> and yet that answer, that short answer, is also a summary of all the answers that I've given previously. So there's a complexity building that occurs as I answer the question. And within that, there are amounts of uncertainty or approaches towards the unknown. And I wonder what it would take to really step there permanently. I mean, you could just you could just say to every question, I don't know. Say that was your default answer for every question, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or you just you just took silence. You just said I'm never going to talk. I'm not going to talk for 6 months and I'm going to do a massive meditation retreat. I mean, people do that. And I, and I guess they basically do it for this reason because they're stepping it into they're stepping into the unknown. They're sick of all the answers that they've got. And I think that's different. I mean, going on the 6-month meditation retreat is one thing, which is different to having the answer to everything which is I don't know there's a difference in sincerity of stepping towards the inner world there like one is more one is more sincere and the other can be very insincere and very shallow the other one can get you nowhere like why is why is I don't know not a koan why isn't I don't know not a koan like, why are koans always questions, not statements? That's a good question. And then the guy comes back from six months on meditation retreat, and you can say, well, what happens when you think? <laughs> and he still has to put it into words. Like, is the, is the whole thing about words just... So, so that, that gets to something, because... To the person that's done that, he sort of has an answer to the question. Like, the, so, so here's the scenario. Let me let me make this clear. I've been sitting in my room for six months, and every time a question comes up, I say, uh -huh, "Yeah, I don't know. Aren't I profound?" And then I just go about my normal day, keep thinking whatever I think about shallow stuff. Let's assume, and then for the during this six months, there's also some yogi or some, you know, Hindi guy who's been in silence sitting on a meditation cushion 24-7 for six months. And we come together and we both answer this question, what happens when I think? And I say, uh -huh, I don't know. And it's really shallow. And what would he say? What happens if he says, I don't know? Now, in a sense, he does know. 
In a sense, he is clear about what happens when he thinks, more so than me. And yet, he still might not be that very good at communicating it. Now, the other side of this is, let's say that I've actually come up with some answers. And I've got these elaborate psychologies, and I can say, well, this is some neuroscience on thought, and this is some scientific research, and this is some psychological studies, and this is what thought is, this is what cognition is, and so on. This is philosophy of mind, and so on. Well, then you can say, looking at it, well, he hasn't said much about what happens when you think, but this person said a lot, and it's very elaborate, it's very detailed, it's very complex. So which is the more deep, which is the deeper answer? Which of us have the more juice? And this is, well, this is what the point is. Like, what do you mean by juice? What do you mean by a deeper experience? This is where experience collides with values, where the values come to the surface. So here's a question for you. Does answering the question, what happens when I think, say much about you? Does it reveal much of your being? Well, in the case of the yogi who's been in silence for six months, no. He might not have been thinking much at all. He might not think much at all. And in the case of the, well, in this scenario, it was me who was doing the speech or the teacher's presentation on what thought is. Well, in a sense, it's possible to, for that to say nothing about me. Like, say I start talking about scientific papers. You could then get to the end of that lecture and say, yes, but what happens when you think? What is your subjective experience of thinking and then i'll say well there was this scientific paper in the 1973 harvard university magazine which is and you say no no you'd have to see that person you'd have to you'd have to word it differently like like you'd really have to be clear about the differences like the permutations on this question like what is a thought what happens when someone thinks and what happens when you think? Those three things would have to be clear. Those differences would have to be clear. And it would have to come back to the personal. Like it really is impossible to underline the importance of experiencing It's impossible to underdo the importance of the personal. Like any, any view of reality has to take in to account that reality is only ever viewed through a single pair of eyes. 
And it's only ever spoken about by a single voice box in a single biped. And of course, that's not all that's happening. It has to... And when what we're talking about is a, a vision of reality, it has to take into account also the collective because not only is it not only is reality only ever seen through a single pair of eyeballs, but it is also true that there are many pairs of eyeballs. And also that the sounds these bipeds are making with their mouths are somehow the same sometimes. There are collections of sounds that happen. Isn't that a funny way of, of saying that? Like, thoughts are just sounds with the mouth that I've heard before. And they're thoughts that... They're sounds with the mouth that you've heard before. Somehow in a similar way, in a similar context. And well, this is just this is just subjectivism one oh one. So to get back to where there was there was some more in what we had just before, which was what happens when I think and does that reveal much of my being? Well, in the picture that we've been working with, which is that you have thoughts feelings, experiences, and the situation and perception, well, that's one-fifth of what you are. Thoughts, feelings, experiences, the situation, perception. So if it's only one-fifth, then not really. It doesn't really say what you are. And I guess that would be, well, why we ask this question, what happens when you feel So when you answer this question, what happens when you feel? We're sort of moving the thing that happening is happening to from someone who's listening to the voice in the head to someone that's having the feelings in the body happen to them. And then from that place of the thing that is having the body's feelings happen to them, the thoughts are then trying to come up with words for. And I really like that. I really like that as a way of explaining it. So if you say, let's say you have a center and the center can move around these five things, your thoughts, your feelings, your situation, And your perceptions. And we can add energy in there as well. Or emotion. And we can divide it. We can even divide those again. Like we can say perceptions we can divide into. Well, touch. Which would be like like you, you start to see where it breaks down. Because touch, is that a, is that a bodily sensation or is that a sense? 
Do we say that there's skin surface is touch and then the, what's behind the skin is feeling? Or we could just say sight, what do you see? And I find, well, sometimes asking someone something like what do you see can be very much illuminating because they're caught up into one of these other components of experiencing reality. They might be stuck in their body. They might be stuck in their mind. And when they say stuck, that just means that their center is there. It's happening to their center in such a way as that they can't see anything else. So what do you see right now? When you look out your eyes, what do you see? And what word, like if, say, say I'm blind, like I, I'm not where you are right now at all. So what, what objects, just name some of the objects. Like there's a bookshelf, there's a mirror, there's a bed, there's a cupboard, there's a light bulb, there's a window, there's a microphone, microphone stand, there's a microphone interface, there's a laptop, I've got my jumper. And now look, see what it was like to say all those objects. See what it was like to have the vision drive the thought. And how that's very different to how you feel in your body. And now if someone was listening to this, it would be it would have to be them saying the words that are in their environment. And well, I mean, what, what would someone say if they were listening to this? Well then it would be then it would be the, the sound of my voice stimulating their mind, which would bring to mind their imagination so the mind so the voice in the mind is stimulating the imagination then we've got <laughs> so now we're getting into parts of the mind stimulating other parts of the mind which have different qualities <laughs> oh that can be fun that can get complicated that can get out of hand and maybe that's why people get stuck in the mind. It's because they're, they're in the mind and it can give this sense that things are changing. Like if you go from voice to vision of the sound of words and an image of the imagination, then it's like you've got a back and forth. It's like you've got different things that are happening. It's almost like the, this whole world or this changing Disneyland is happening. And that can be, well, because it's so complicated, it can be arresting or overwhelming. So I feel like I feel like a bit of a show off. Like I'm really like I'm really just full of myself when it comes to the mind. Because I know I have a big mind in many ways. I know I have a knowledge. 
And there's so many worlds up there between the years that I've discovered and developed and changed and created and made for myself and all sorts of things. And I love thinking. I just love it. I get so much out of it. What happens when I think? Like I said, I've said this before, I feel so good. And in so many ways, I love contemplating. I love coming up with ideas. I love thinking fast. I love thinking complex. I love thinking deep. I love seeing how many different thoughts I can get to work together. I like having absurd thoughts, like really crazy thoughts, like how do I how do I relate this really big thing with this tiny little specific thing? How do I get the most random thoughts together, like the two most unsuspecting things to be in the same place right next to each other? And I really see myself as, well, a thought adventurer. I adventure into the mind. And along with that goes, well, philosophical gymnastics, cognitive gymnastics. And that's not to say that there's some dirt in there. Like I still have self-image problems. I still have desires. I still have you know, my own self-esteem to take care of. And sometimes it's such a small thing. Sometimes it's a bigger thing. And I do worry sometimes. And I do become neurotic at times. And sometimes I have the same thought going over and over again. And I don't notice it. That does still happen. And then when I do notice it, sometimes I beat myself up and think, oh, I should have known better. But then again, other times I think, wow, I should have remembered this earlier and isn't it great that I did remember it and so on. So to answer it shortly, what happens when I think is it's, it's vast. It's just vast. What happens when I think? And I wish you could help me with the things that are not right for me or not so good for me right now. And I wish I could help you. And I wish more people would see the beauty of the mind. More people would see the joys of adventuring into the mind. And I hope by talking about this, I'm demonstrating that it can be done. I'm demonstrating how it can be done. And it's also very important for me to come back to my feelings. It's important for me to remember to be quiet sometimes and not think so much. And just put thinking to rest 
sometimes. As enticing as it is to think. It's important for me to listen to my heart. It's important for me to be centered in my heart at times. Despite that I have, despite the fun that I have being centered in the mind. It's important, it's important for me to share what I think. When I think I feel to share with others, I feel to share what I'm thinking about. I feel to share my ideas. And I'm feeling now that This is a good time to just have a rest from thinking. 